Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. From the blackest corners of your mind. They call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. As I warned you last week, Tales to Terrify is now closed to submissions. So if you missed sliding your horror in under the deadline, hopefully you're able to stuff them back into that weird warded box until sometime early next year when we reopen. Speaking of reopening for submissions, we've got some exciting news coming for our contributors in the new year. I don't want to spill all the beans yet, but we're hoping it'll not only help us more fairly compensate the amazing authors who spin these dark yarns for your listening enjoyment, but also encourage even more wonderfully twisted and misshapen original horrors to slither their way into our submissions pile. A huge shout-out to patrons and supporters through PayPal for making this possible we've been able to hit some pretty incredible milestones with your help and support over the last couple of years, and we're excited to have another one looming so close on the horizon. The continued growth and evolution of this podcast relies so heavily on the support of listeners just like you. Even a single dollar a month makes a world of difference. I know I've mentioned it before. But if even 10% of our listeners gave just a single dollar a month, that would be absolutely transformative for our show. More stories, more narrations, more bonuses, and the ability to pay all of our staff and contributors at or above the industry standard for their excellent work. Being completely honest, asking for support is something I struggle to do. You're here for an escape from the everyday, after all. 
But we're exceptionally proud and thankful for the energy so many people pour into this podcast. And while we've made leaps and bounds compared to the early years, we're still a long way from paying our contributors what they truly deserve. If you're interested and able to shuffle even just a dollar or two our way once a month, it would mean the world to us. I'm sure you know where to go by now. Patreon.com slash Tales to Terrify. Or, if PayPal's more your style, you can donate via the link on our homepage. Heck, you can even donate directly through Acast. And to those incredible souls who already support us in one of those ways, I truly, literally cannot thank you enough. Alright, that's enough from me. Let's see what darkness we've pulled from the well tonight. Our first story for the evening comes from Ryan C. Bradley. Ryan C. Bradley has published work in the Missouri Review, The Rumpus, Dark Moon Digest, Daikaiju Zine, and other venues. His first book, Saint's Blood, was published by Saint Rooster's Books in April of 2022. He co-hosts the Horror Hangover podcast with Cass Clark. Learn more about him at ryancbradley.com. Children of the Night, join me for Ryan C. Bradley's Jailbreak, a Tales to Terrify original. Warden Carol Kardensky propped her feet up on a wicker ottoman on Grandma's porch. The nagging pain in her knee had finally passed, and it was one of those glorious early spring days when the sun beaming down felt like love on your skin. The smell of freshly cut grass wafted up from the yard. She swayed back and forth in a white rocking chair, leaning on a pillow her grandmother had sewn. That burned in the fire in 1986. The lemonade in her glass was freshly squeezed, and her early retirement didn't seem so bad now. Forget the thousand prisoners in the supermax. The new warden's name had slipped her mind but she was sure they would do fine. She'd led a retinue of guards down to the basement, and they'd taken care of the thing down there. Carol. She stretched her arms back, inhaled peace, exhaled stress. The lemonade was fine. The only thing that was missing was a dog. As she thought it, Two dogs zigzagged up the front walk. The first, Kiki. She should be in Connecticut, not Pennsylvania. Was a miniature schnauzer with a white snout and black fur around her eyes that made her look like a cartoon thief. The second dog, Bernardo, was her grandmother's Jack Russell Terrier who always managed to steal food from Mom's plate, and curiously, never went after anyone else. He burned with that pillow. The dogs chased each other, nipping at one another's heels as Carol laughed. A small boy followed. Her boy, Tommy, as he was at seven or eight. 
Tommy's still mad, and you won't apologize, you stubborn thing. He was giggling, and it took her back to the time when she'd roll around on the floor for hours, making silly noises just to see him smile. Before things had gotten so complicated. Kiki jumped into her lap first, then Bernardo. The two jockeyed for position, then settled. Tommy padded up the steps after them. Did you see me, Mom? I almost caught them. He smiled, two front teeth half grown in. He didn't lose them at the same time. Carol took another drink of lemonade, the perfect mix of sugar, water, and lemon juice. Carol never got it right, but Grandma never missed. You want a lemonade? she asked her boy as she poured him a glass. Tommy gulped it down and smiled again. The sun glinted off his perfect, grown-in white teeth. He never brushed that well. She needed to reapply sunscreen on Tommy and her. There wasn't any on the side table. And then there was. It had always been there. Something is wrong, Carol. Wake up. She picked up the tube. It had the right consistency. The soft skin of the new tubes indenting, where the paste slid under her fingers. The color, a sedate blue, was perfect. The words were wrong, though. Something that resembled text was scrawled in the right spots, the right color, but not actual words. She squinted and didn't get any clearer. Something was wrong. Yes. Now look out past the yard. Kiki jumped up and licked Carol's ear. The dog loved wax. No matter how much time Carol spent with a Q-tip, Kiki managed to find more. The dog's tongue tickled, wrestling a giggle out of Carol. Tommy poured himself another glass of lemonade, using two hands to maneuver the pitcher and still not getting it all in the cup. Cookies! he yelled. It's trying to distract you. Remember the sunscreen. A plate of cookies, fresh from the oven. Chocolate chips still gooey. Took the sunscreen's place next to her lemonade on the side table. Carol picked up one with two fingers trying not to smudge her hands with the melted chocolate. She took a bite. Heaven. As good as the lemonade, maybe better. She stuffed the rest of the cookie into her mouth. Then a second. Tommy scarfed down four. The sugar rush would drive Dale mad. But kids needed to be kids. Panic stabbed at her. The diabetes. Her sugar would be spiking if she didn't take some insulin soon. All at once, relaxation rolled over her. Like the pain in the knee. The diabetes was gone here. Look past the yard. Is that my Carol? Grandma! Carol had longed to hug her grandmother for so many years. For Grandma to meet her boy, footsteps approached. Tommy jerked away as she fixed his hair. This was impossible. After the fire, Carol had told herself that her grandmother had moved to Santa Fe. In her dreams, Grandma would come back for a visit and Carol wouldn't find her at the restaurant. She'd go to the airport to pick Grandma up but Grandma never streamed out with the other passengers. The dreams only stopped after she'd accepted what happened. It'd been 35 years 
and she couldn't go back. Grandma was dead. Kiki poofed out of existence. Bernardo transformed to what he'd looked like after the fire, fur singed off, leaving black skin and a liver exposed. She screamed as she tossed the dog carcass off her lap. Tommy was a man again, and he grimaced when he saw her. She looked past her boy, past the walk. Yes! Beyond the wintergreen boxwood shrubs, there was nothing. A void of the deepest darkness. The sky ended, too. The sun beat down in a blue square above her. But there was nothing beyond it. A hand grabbed her shoulder. Grandma. You can't wake up yet, Carol. We're not finished. The smell of burnt flesh overpowered the fresh-cut grass and steaming cookies. Warden Carol Kardensky popped up. The ottoman toppled. Grandma's funeral had been closed casket. But this grandma looked as Carol had imagined. The fire had left a mohawk of white hair, black skin sliding off to show a white skull, eyes melted and holes burnt through her cheeks revealing the pink gums and white teeth beneath. You're not her, the warden said. Grandma laughed, a discordant deep sound echoing around her insides like a broken piano. You left the hair straightener plugged in, Carol. Her legs went weak. She grabbed the closest wicker chair to keep herself up. That fear had niggled in the back of her mind for so long, but the investigator had declared the fire electrical. You did this. Grandma pushed a finger between the charred flesh of her cheek and the bone, stretching it. Grandma hadn't been like this. Yes, the parasite had gotten inside her. Let me out, the warden said. For a second... She was back in control of her body. It felt like she'd broken out of a night terror. She blinked. The old, turn it off and then on again. As she tried to get her head on straight, her body was in the dome in the center of the cells of E-Ward, and Associate Warden Andy was on the ground in a downward dog position. Except his head shouldn't have been able to bend in that direction. Oh, God. The seat of his pants was wet with shit and the smell floated up. Andy was dead. Outside of the dome, the cell doors were open, and the prisoners were flocking towards the unattended exit. What had she done? What else had it done while it was her? She pressed the talk button on her walkie. We have a big problem. Code red. Anyone who can read me, code red. She ran towards the stairs, and it felt like someone had hit her in the head with a two-by-four. Carol propped her feet on a hotel room bed, covered in rose petals. The nagging pain in her knee had finally passed. It was a fine day. The sunshine came through the balcony's door and bristled with what felt like love. It's February, and salt has jaundiced the snow. Marvin Gaye was singing about getting it on in the background. Carol sat upright. Good, good, remember. She hadn't been at a hotel in years. That asshole Cade Tomlinson had bought the prison. Thanks to the COVID recession, the old owners had to sell. They were horrible, too. But they'd at least respected the thing in the basement. When she told Cade about it, he'd laughed. Keep going. Her velvet robe, the only thing she had on, caressed her skin. Tomlinson had given her her walking papers, and he'd planned on letting it get into Gen Pop. 
where it could swap bodies as much as it wanted. Catching it would be like a game of three-cup Monty. Someone unlocked the room's door. Not now, Grandma, Carol said. But the man in the doorway was not her grandmother. His soft eyes pierced hers, his hair the perfect amount of unkept. His open shirt revealed a six-pack, and she couldn't help herself. Her mouth watered. She wanted to lick whipped cream off of those abs. I've been thinking about you, Warden, he said. His voice was soft and sexy. He rolled a cart with a bottle of champagne and a bucket of ice to the bed. He reached, slowly, and brushed her hair behind her ears. He cupped her face. His eyes sparkled. She trembled. This isn't real. No, it wasn't. And even if it was, she was married, had been for twenty-seven years, and neither of them had strayed too far. He doesn't need to know, the man said, eyes smoldering. When was the last time you did something just for you? Dale wasn't a bad husband. Thick around the waist now, but so was she. He always made sure she got hers. He worked, helped with Tommy. She loved him, and he loved her. But it wasn't an exciting dance-all-night-tell-anyone-who-will-listen kind of love anymore. Life with Dale was more like a warm sweater on a cold day. But compared to what her sister had with that asshole Lyle, Carol had it good. Still, it took nearly all her willpower to push the dream man away. He pulled her hand onto his meaty chest. God, it felt nice. It's okay, he said. You can enjoy this. It's not real. Neither are your dreams. Do you know that your husband thinks of you the way you think of him? Your brother? Your sister? Your children? You think you know, but you haven't plumbed their depths, looked into the soft, dark spots. Everything in your life is a fantasy, assembled from incomplete information by a slowly scrambling piece of electrified meat. He uncorked the champagne bottle with a pop. White suds leaked out of the mouth. Why not indulge? She let him kiss her, his warm, wet tongue exploring. His body thrust against hers. They fell against the bed. Carol, it's not real. You need to wake up. His weight pressed down on her. She pushed him off and rolled out of the bed. Rose petals fell behind her. What's going to happen if I open the room door? Or I step out onto the balcony? The man's eyes narrowed. All of this to deny yourself? Yes, Carol, yes! He followed her, wrapped his arms around her. The hug transformed into a vice when she tried to back away. She broke the champagne bottle on the hotel end table. Sorry, handsome, she said, but this wasn't real. She thrust the broken shards into his stomach. It was a shame to destroy those perfect abs, even if in a fantasy. He groaned and fell back onto the bed, trying to staunch the bleeding with his hand. She tried the door. The knob rattled, but it was a decoration, not a tool. She squinted at the rest of the room, looking for the loose thread to unravel her prison. The man pressed the satin sheets against his wound, reddening them with blood. 
The balcony doors were fastened shut, too. The view beyond, a beautiful beach bathing in sun, was painted between the panes. She grabbed the ice buckets and swung, breaking a hole in the door, revealing the great nothing behind it. I'm coming out now, she announced. She reached her hand in through the hole, into the chilly abyss. This time she was in the basement, Chief Holloway covering his face with a handkerchief next to her, kneeling in front of the mummified remains of the man the parasite had lived in. The chief rolled the corpse from its side to its back with a pen. How long did you say he's been down here? He asked. His white mustache masked his lips as they moved up and down. She reached for the wall, anything really, to keep her balance. Switching in and out of the parasite's world disoriented her, as if she'd done a backflip underwater without plugging her nose. I need something if I'm going to smooth this over. The feds are on their way. Cade Tomlinson is on the horn, screaming mad. The governor wants to know why you released the prisoners. The DA wants to press charges, Chief Holloway said. But let's talk about the corpse first. Kill me, she said. A wave of dizziness hit her. That thing was taking her under again. Before it can... This time, the thing burrowing its way through her mind sent her to her own living room. The stack of unread, fine gardening magazines reached as high as the armrest of her threadbare polyester easy chair. Paul Hollywood awarded someone a handshake on The Great British Baking Show. Kiki snored gently on Carol's lap. It's not real. I know, she muttered. She stood up, sending Kiki hopping onto the carpet. The parasite hadn't bothered with taking away the pain in her knee here in this fantasy. You're going to have to do better than this, she yelled. What, honey? Dale yelled from the kitchen. The smell of steaks sizzling wafted in from the kitchen, followed by potatoes in the oven. Marrying a man that could cook was the best decision she'd ever made. But this was an illusion, and she needed to find the dangling thread so she could unravel it. Behind her, the doorbell rang. You expecting someone? Dale yelled from the kitchen. Don't answer the door. It's a trick. The screen door creaked and she scoffed. In the real world, that door stayed locked at all times. You couldn't stop a crime of determination, but you could stop a crime of opportunity with a plastic lock. The front doorknob turned. She braced herself for her dead grandmother, for her dream man, for whatever fantasy came next. Tommy walked through the door, her boy. He looked thicker now, like he was eating well and had Kick the compulsion to constantly exercise. It's not him. His smile, the real one, not the one he forced for photos, lit up his face. The door was open, so I came in. Is that Tommy? Dale yelled from the kitchen. But he didn't come out, because the monster from the basement wants to lock you away. Dale... Wouldn't stay in the kitchen if Tommy came home. Tommy? Carol asked. It had been three years. He'd gone to California with Melissa in his ear, whispering. He was waiting for Carol's apology when he owed her. Every time Dale said they should call, send a birthday card, she'd said the same thing. The ball was in his court. He told her not to call, and heaven forbid she went against the little prince's wishes. But God, March 5th these last three years, it had been a Herculean feat for her not to pick up the phone. 
and here he was. You know it's not real. The dull ache she pretended wasn't there sharpened. Mom, he said, rubbing his thigh through his jeans. Whether he was twenty-two months or twenty-two years old, that gesture had stuck with him. Who cared whose ball the court was in? This isn't real. Tommy is in California. He's not thinking about you. Shut up. She knew that on the outside, the feds would be arriving. They'd have questions. Who was the man who'd been kept in the prison basement for the last 120 years? How had the food on his trays been emptying with a body in this advanced state of decay? Cade Tomlinson, the governor, and the DA were all working out a way to put her into prison. They won't be able to catch it again. Think about how much damage it could do. What could it do? Take one person at a time? And what did people in the 1900s have that they didn't have now? Just once, this one time, she would do something for her. It'll leave a path of destruction. I'm sorry, Tommy said. I should have never... Look, it's going to be different now. Melissa was a mistake. Tommy wrapped his arms around her. He still used Axe body spray. A little too sweet, but so familiar. Forget the monster. Carol melted into her boy. It's not going to be real. But what was? That was Ryan C. Bradley's Jailbreak, as read by Josie Babin. Living in that formerly abandoned house on the corner, the one across the street from the cemetery, the one with all those cats lounging about, you'll find Josie happily narrating horror stories. No one has seen her human companion lately, but the cats do look well-fed. Not that those things have anything to do with one another. In between stories, she works on a long list of house projects and car projects. But best of all, she gets to work on lab projects, growing cells into medicine, hopefully making the world a little healthier in the not-so-far-off future. If you're ever in San Diego, stop by to say hi. She'll introduce you to her cats. Thank you, Josie. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Our second tale tonight comes from Tom Leaf. Tom Leaf lives in a house with an unpleasant basement. He has no pets, he practices his smile almost every day, and has been scrawling words in notebooks, both lined and unlined, for some years now. Some of his writings make sense. Tom knows that he should be engaging with people on social media whilst developing an effortlessly intriguing bio. He can't right now, He's too busy writing the kind of stories he would like to read. Listen with me, children of the night, to Tom Leaf's Here, Kitty Kitty, a Tales to Terrify original. It is Tuesday, mid-morning, and Peter is standing in the middle of a basement bed-sitting room, quietly sipping lemonade from a jam jar. No living creature except Peter has occupied this threadbare space for some time, and yet the pernicious smell of cat excrement permeates the room like a brown mist. Peter doesn't mind the smell. He is wearing his slippers. They are tartan and threadbare. Peter is quietly thinking about room 11. Peter was moved from room 11 one and a half weeks ago. Room 11 had been secure. It had been a unit, which means one, so Peter hadn't needed to share with anyone else. A man whose name was called Simon was paid to look after Peter. It was what Simon called his job. Simon's hair was bald color, and Simon liked to whistle. There hadn't been a window in room 11, but there had been four pictures on the wall. Peter remembers that the pictures made him feel calm. Simon had told Peter that the pictures showed the four seasonings, or something like that, and that the four seasonings mean nature. Peter likes nature. Nature means fruit and leaves and animals. Animals like Bobble, the kitten. Simon had found Bobble stuffed under Peter's bed. After Simon had found Bobble, things had changed for Peter. Simon had said that he couldn't look after Peter anymore, not in room 11 anyway. Peter remembers the day that Simon had moved him from room 11 to the bed-sitting room. He remembers how the brown-faced boy with the wet forehead in room 8 and the cross-eyed thin girl from room 10 had both shouted at him from across the corridor. The small wrinkly girl next door in room 9 had been crying and scratching at her own face, which seemed like a silly thing to do, Peter had thought. The van that Simon had bundled Peter into that day had smelt of spit. That was the day that the quiet throb in Peter's forehead had been replaced by the fat headache. The fat headache 
is now always there. When Simon brought Peter to the bed-sitting room, they had both felt sad. Simon had sighed, twice, and he'd said that it would be safer for Peter in the bed-sitting room. Peter was here on what Simon had called a mobility visit, and then Simon had said that Peter would be staying here for a little while, until everyone had forgotten about Bobble. Now, as he thinks about Bobble, Peter makes his mouth into a smile shape. His right hand, nails bitten to the quick, drifts to the front of his blue corduroy trousers and pauses there, unconsciously lingering in fluttering expectation. Bobble had been all wriggly. Peter remembers how he had held Bobble's face really tightly to stop him from being wriggly. He remembers squeezing and squeezing and squeezing. Pop goes the Bobble. Simon had found Bobble the kitten. But Simon would never find the others. Tinky, Pom Pom, and Crunch. Nor the puppy Mike. During the summer, Peter had carefully built up his collection. When he hadn't been asleep in room 11, or very wide awake in the white room with Dr. Barnes, Peter had spent his recreation periods hiding quietly behind some green bushes, waiting for the time when a new friend would stray into the big garden. Peter was the one who had removed their collars and given them new names. He had been the one who had found them. Finders keepers, easy squeezers. Peter hadn't collected them all at the same time, though. That would have been silly. Peter had taken his time. He had been patient. Patient, Peter. It is Wednesday, early evening, and Peter half-heartedly pushes a wet chicken egg and a gray pig chop around a small greasy pan. He is fending for himself, as Simon would say. Peter has forgotten how to switch on the electric hob. The bed-sitting room belongs to Simon, and even though Simon doesn't live here, he lives nearby, and has promised Peter that he will check in on him at least once a week. In the meantime, Simon says Peter needs a lilo, or to lie low, or to lie on a low lilo. Peter struggles to remember exactly what Simon had said because of the fat headache. Peter wipes the back of his mouth with a trembling hand and turns to his right, or maybe his left. He intends to dish up his cold, jellied meal onto a plate that he has found. The plate is small and yellow. As he turns, Peter knocks a picture frame from the worktop onto the floor. Clumsy Peter. A blurry photograph of two glum-faced kittens, wearing Victorian bonnets, now lies face up on the faded kitchen linoleum. The glass in the picture frame is broken. Peter looks at the kittens in the photograph. They are standing bravely to attention, and each one is holding a parasol. Peter looks at their dead black eyes and their sad mouths, which have been stitched shut. He lowers himself onto creaking knees, shakily reaching out a pale hand to pick up the broken frame. At the junction of the wall with the floor, he notices something odd. Protruding from the flaking wall, something has sprouted. Thin, finger-length white hairs push outwards from a crack in the plaster. Peter touches them. They feel velvety. Their appearance is peculiar, and yet he does not pull back. He touches them again, more slowly this time, stroking them. Peter's mouth is tightly pursed and his lonely blue eyes are crinkled in puzzlement. Below the soft white hairs, the linoleum has worn away, and there upon the exposed floorboard, a small knothole is revealed, fully encircled within a dark stain no longer than the outline of a hen's egg. Peter touches the stain with his fingertip. 
the stain is wet, and the knot hole is soft. Leaning forward, Peter places his smooth face within kissing distance of the hairs and the stain. He can feel the faintest movement of air, a gossamer breeze slipping through the knot hole. A sprout of hair, a soft, wet knot hole, a faint breeze, almost a breath. Rising unsteadily to his feet, Peter fumbles the broken picture frame back onto the worktop, his eyes fixed on the transformed corner of the room. He pauses, absently scratching at the electricity scar on the back of his skull. Pausing is something Peter likes to do. After some time, he remembers where he is. Now he feels tired. Peter goes to bed, his cheap tea left to solidify in the pan. He sinks into a haunted, restless sleep. Sleepy Peter. It is Thursday, early morning, and Peter, half awake, is face down in his own saliva. He is fully clothed, one of his slippers has fallen off, and his bed linen, stained and stiff, lies crumpled at the foot of the bed. Through sleep-encrusted eyes, Peter sees that the strange thing is still there. The sprout of hair is noticeably thicker, and it has grown so long that it bends to meet the bare board beneath. The stain has spread, more than doubling in size. Its elongated outermost tip now touches the lower edge of the adjacent scuffed skirting board, as if licking it. Three feet above the skirting board, between the sprout and the stain, a nubby protrusion has appeared. It is as if the glistening tip of a wet black crayon were being pushed forward into the room from behind. Sprout, stain, and tip. The oddity of the situation amuses Peter. A snickering whisper squeezes itself from between his thin, dry lips. This is what Peter believes a person's laugh should sound like. He leans in once more towards the peculiar thing. The slight breeze emanating from the soft, wet knot hole has noticeably increased, for the hair sprout above is slowly swaying back and forth like pondweed under the surface of some dim, forgotten lake. The surface of the knot hole is mottled with dark dots, reminiscent of bread mold, and the buttony nub protruding from the wall has a dull sheen to it, like the dimming eye of a dying calf. Tentatively, Peter lifts a trembling finger and places it gently upon the buttony nub. The nub flinches, and a faint, plaintive mewling seeps from the mottled, wet lips of the knothole. Peter presses again, firmer this time. At this intrusion, the sprout becomes agitated, its diaphanous wisps snapping back and forth, insistently kittenish. It's alive, whispers Peter to no one else in the room. As if in recognition of this epiphany, the knothole closes creakily in upon itself. There is a slight pause before the knothole swiftly snaps back open, vomiting forth a thickly slick trickle of black spotted mess. Peter flinches, yelping in primal fear, repulsed by the spawn-like froth bubbling in wet abundance out of the timber throat. Peter's gorge rises in reaction to the fetid stench of vomit and excrement wafting up from the rapidly growing pool of soft, glutinous muck in front of him. He pushes back, twisting away in horror, his single Velcro-strapped slipper floundering on the kitchen linoleum in an attempt to gain purchase. Scrabbling to his feet and with barely a backward glance, Peter rushes, terrified, to the presumed refuge of the bathroom. It is Thursday, mid-morning, 
and for the last hour, Peter has been in hiding, wedged between the toilet bowl and the curved edge of the cast iron bathtub. His panicked, ragged breathing is doing little to mask the insistent sounds of activity from the bed-sitting room, and the feeble daylight creeping under the bathroom door is increasingly punctuated by flickering shadows of feverish movement. Flapping slaps can be heard, as though something wet and heavy were lifting itself up only to flop back down onto the kitchen linoleum. The bathroom door has no keyhole, and the gap beneath provides no adequate line of sight. Mustering all of his courage, Peter creeps out from his hiding place and carefully places his ear against the door. The bed sitting room is being systematically torn apart, as though whatever now inhabits the room is searching for something. Or someone. A pan lid clatters to the floor, spinning in ever-decreasing circles. A cupboard door is dashed into splinters, and the harsh metallic screech of a tap being torn adrift is followed by the splashing gush of water cannoning off the peeling, yellowed ceiling. Peter's bare foot is wet. His refuge has been breached. A fast-flowing stream of water is running under the gap in the door. Flotsam. Timber splinters, rotting food waste, and torn chunks of the foul-smelling black spawn washes across the bathroom floor, swilling up against the skirting boards and circling around the clawed feet of the bathtub. The bathroom door hammers rapidly against Peter's face, a frenzied demand for entry from whatever horrific entity is running amuck in the bed-sitting room. Startled, Peter backs away, eyes wide in shock. The hammering persists, and the thin plywood door shakes violently, threatening to break free from its hinges. Whimpering uncontrollably, Peter turns to stare at the cast-iron bathtub, stained and sturdy. Wading towards it on trembling legs, he climbs in, curling himself up as small as he can, trapped and petrified. As abruptly as it had begun, the hammering on the door ceases. Peter, eyes squeezed tightly shut, remains perfectly still, silently counting off the passing seconds. From the bed-sitting room, the roar of cascading water continues unabated. Peter counts slowly up to seventy-three, the largest number he knows, and then peeps over the roll-top edge of the bathtub. He climbs out, knowing that he cannot spend the rest of his life in the bathroom. Peter pulls open the bathroom door, immediately regretting his decision. The black spawn reigns supreme, completely covering the floor in spectacular fashion, its stinking globular mass stretched thickly to every corner, bobbing serenely on the ever-rising tide of gushing tap water. In the corner of the room, the hair sprout rises in thick abundance from beneath the carpet of black spawn. It clings to the remain of the kitchenette in a matted profusion and has scaled the wall up towards the ceiling where it hangs, forming a gently swaying canopy. The glistening buttony nub protrudes egg-like from the wall. Intently scanning the room, its darting gaze is sporadic and fretful. The nub spots Peter and freezes. As if on cue, a flurry of sliding movement signals the entry of something new, and Peter's wildly rolling eye spots twisting motion in the darkest corner of the room. His linen has become insistent. The soiled bedsheets have twisted themselves snake-like into a rope, four fingers thick, a cotton anaconda, terrifying in its eyeless determination. 
raising its knotted back into shivering humps before flopping downwards into sidewinder ridges. It slithers swiftly across the surface of the black spawn pond to where Peter is cowering in the bathroom doorway. He drops to his knees, covers his eyes, and prays that the end, when it comes, will be swift and painless. It is Thursday, early evening, and Simon, a bag of groceries clutched in his left hand, attempts to let himself into the basement flat. The front door is jammed shut, and despite his efforts to shoulder it open, Simon is unable to gain entry. The steady stream of water running underneath the door is concerning. Simon makes his way to the rear of the building, and using a tin of baked beans from the grocery bag, he shatters the bathroom window. The stench that wafts out to greet him is unbearable. Mindful of the shards of glass still jutting out from the frame, Simon pulls himself through the open window. The bathroom is in darkness, and there is no light seeping under the closed door that leads to the bed-sitting room. Simon can hear the rush of water from the adjacent room and can only assume that the electricity is off as a result. As he fumbles for his mobile phone, Simon can just about see the faint outline of the bathtub in front of him. Unlocking his phone, Simon turns on its torch and discovers what has become of Peter's body. Peter's body is face down in the bathtub. His head, however, has been turned to face the ceiling, the neck a twisted candy stick spiral of skin. His t-shirt has been pulled up behind his ears, tying his skull to the taps. Peter's pale blue eyes, marbled with blood, have been squeezed from their sockets and are playfully lolling upon the dead cheeks below. His mouth has been forced open in an endless scream, throat stuffed to the brim with a thick clot of blood and hair. Peter's swollen torso, face up, stomach down, is slowly undulating from within, the skin tightly stretched outwards like a wet balloon. This rippling liquid undulation is causing Peter's body to lift and then drop back down. As it does so, his belt buckle clinks against the bottom of the bath. Up, then down, slowly and repetitively. Clink, 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 in a bizarre parody of coitus. It would appear that something has taken root inside Peter and is keen to escape. Simon stands transfixed in disgust, the bag of groceries forgotten, a clenched fist thrust firmly into his mouth in an attempt to stifle a scream. Each time Peter's body rises out of the bathtub, the spine is pressed almost to breaking point against the skin of his back. The rising and falling of Peter's torso is becoming frantic, faster and faster, up and down, up and down. Tiny spots of blood bloom into life across Peter's flesh, as if pins were being pushed through from beneath, their number increasing in multitude, a constellation of blood dots peppering his bloated flesh. Faster and faster, up and down, up and down, the belt buckle fervently tapping out a fevered metronomic beat upon the bottom of the bath. Faster and faster, Peter's tethered face jiggles on the limit of its twisted neck in a horrifying parody of a carnival mask, the eyes comically swinging to and fro like pendulous eggs. The pinpricks have now become so numerous that they entirely cover the surface of the back. Peter's skin is starting to split, the cadaver being forced open like a wet paper bag by the sheer strength of whatever horrific thing is hatching out from within. The bath is rapidly filling with Peter's blood, the hot metallic reek of it flooding Simon's nostrils, his gorge rising, the sheer horror of the unfolding situation before him almost impossible to comprehend. Faster and faster, up and down, up and down, clink, 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 faster and faster, up and down, up and down, clink, clink, clink. 
Simon screams, his sanity broken, as the slaughtered gray thing that was once Peter, now stretched beyond all reason, triumphantly bursts open like a hot, wet fruit. The wonderful surprise within is vomited forth, pushed up and against the fatty confines of the ribcage, every haunted element wondrous in its peculiarity. Five things, empty-eyed, gloriously dead, fetal. Four baby cat shapes and a baby dog shape. Peter's friends are inside him, where they always belonged. Welcome back, friends. And finally, rest in pieces. Dead Peter. Upon the kitchen worktop, the picture frame remains in place. The kittens still stand to attention. They still resolutely clutch their parasols, and their eyes still glisten blackly like cold, dead stars. Now, however, their tiny, grinning mouths, finally unstitched, reveal themselves to be full of small, sharp teeth. That was Tom Leaf's Here Kitty Kitty, as read by Andrew Gibson. Andrew was pulled feet first from the swamps of South Louisiana, kicking and screaming, and he remains mostly as such to this day. You can find his work on Audible under Andrew Gibson, or, for the more romantically inclined, Blake Lockhart. You can also catch him streaming his recording sessions live in the Narrator Nook and the Haven Discord servers. Links are in the show notes. Thank you, Andrew. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of tales to tell. For now. Tales to Terrify is made possible by the tremendous generosity of our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. Incredible fans like Lessel Baxter, Paul Belcher, Amanda Carrillo, Amanda Gottfried, and Orion D. Higra, whose generous support helps keep the lights on and flickering ominously. Not a supporter already? Head over to patreon.com slash tales to terrify where you'll find all kinds of perks, like ad-free episodes, bonus content, and one-of-a-kind collectibles and merch packs. Every dollar goes back into this show to make it as horrific as possible, and we appreciate it so much. Want another way to support the show that doesn't cost a cent? Head over to Podchaser, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating or review. You'll not only put an unnaturally wide smile on our faces, but help new listeners discover our terrifying tales, too. Why not share your love of the show out in the world with some Tales to Terrify merch? TalesToTerrify.com slash merch will take you to our Public store, where we've got a great collection of creepy custom and curated designs so you can show those around you just how twisted you truly are. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Meredith Morgenstern, Andrew Gibson, Crystal Hammond, Spencer Desparty, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we seek answers beyond the veil with more Tales to Terrify.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 